You are listening to The Game Plan on the official Raiders Podcast Network. Here's your host, JT the Brick. Welcome to The Game Plan Podcast on the Raiders Podcasting Network. Week 8, Sunday, November 1st, 2020. It's the Las Vegas Raiders 3-3 three and three at the 5-2 and two Cleveland Browns at First Energy Stadium. Big game for the Silver and Black. They're coming off a tough loss to Tom Brady, 45-20. to 20. In the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last Sunday, and they got to get going. They got to get going now because fortunately the Raiders beat Kansas City. That was the defining game so far of the year. If not, they would have been on a four game losing streak. Remember, they were a 12 and a half point underdog at Kansas City. That game put the Raiders in this position to be at 500 through week six. So there's a lot to get to here because Cleveland's a five win team. And everybody who says, well, the Raiders' schedule is opening up and it's going to get a little bit easier, Cleveland's won two more games in the silver and black. They are going to be a tough out. It's an early 10 a.m. Pacific start for the Raiders as they'll head out to Cleveland. Weather shouldn't be that big of a deal. I talked to John Gruden on Thursday about it. Could be some wind and some rain, but they're not catching Cleveland in late November, December, and some heavy cold and some snow. So hopefully the Raiders pick up and get some momentum going. Let's look back quickly at the Tampa Bay game. I think one of the good takeaways for the Raiders is the signing of Nelson Aguilar. Aguilar is trusting Carr. Carr is trusting Aguilar, and he went up for this one. Second down and five now. Here is Carr, takes a snap, back in the middle, fires middle end zone. Touchdown! Touchdown! Nelson Aguilar, baby, first drive of the game, and they attack the middle of the Buccaneer defense deep. What a throw by Derek Carr. I thought that that drive, the opening drive, was the best drive of the year. And they have had great drives. They're putting up a lot of points, the Raiders are, this year. There was just something about that drive, a couple of chunk plays. They blocked well. The energy was great. They got off to a great start in that game. But, again, too much Tom Brady in the second half and the distractions around Trent Brown. COVID-19 reserve, it affected Jonathan Abram, even though he didn't test positive. The offensive line, the starters didn't practice all week. That was going to be a tough game to win, and they did not win that game. And now the Raiders are back to 500 as they go to Cleveland. So after the game, John Gruden, I thought for the first time, really got specific on this defense and some of the problems and what they're going to have to do as they look at the film and get ready to make these evaluations. Well, I'm not going to say it here today. Obviously, there's some things we have to take a good look at, and uh, that process will start as soon as the press conference is over. But um, if we're going to rush four, we've got to do a lot better than we did today. I knew that was going to be a big moment, and I knew this was going to be the theme of this podcast That's why I asked Kirk Morrison, former linebacker, to come on. Mark Schlereth, who called the game, former Bronco, three-time Super Bowl champ. I want to evaluate what's going on with this pass rush or lack of pass rush, something that John Gruden has talked about earlier in the week. Well, we're not going to get into that publicly, uh, Josh, but we're going to try to get the best four out there that we can, number one. Whether it involves more blitzing, we'll see. Who goes inside, who goes outside, who's on the left side, who's on the right side, what stunts we call, what blitzes we call. Uh, Everything is on the table. We've been meeting since very early in the morning, and uh, we're going to play better on defense. I'm determined to to make sure we prove that this week. 
you can tell the sense of urgency for Coach Gruden and everybody's on the defense to get the pass rush going. You know, back to the Tampa game, there was a third and 13 play in the fourth quarter. It really was the biggest play of the game. I'm not saying the Raiders would have came back and won the game, but Coach Gruden realizes this is when the game got away. Well, that was the play of the game, Vic. That was the play of the game. You know, it was 24 to 20. There's 11 minutes and 57 seconds left in a game. And our team had fought hard throughout the day. And you get a team in third and 13, you call a zone coverage. Uh, we're hoping we force the ball to be checked down. We rally and make the tackle. Obviously, we were way too deep. We did not play that well. And that was a catastrophic play in a game for us, I believe. So let's take a look at some defensive stats for the Raiders. They're 26th overall in total defense, giving up 403 yards a game. That's unacceptable. A rush defense is right in the middle, 15th. They're giving up 118. And pass defense is 28th overall, giving up 283 yards a game. And the 31st ranked, 31st a team in points per game at 32.8. Now, fortunately, Cleveland is giving up 31.6. They're ranked 29th. And Cleveland's pass defense, which we'll get into, is ranked 30th, below the Raiders. But they have a good rushing defense. They only give up 92 yards a game. So both of these teams are not very good on defense. And that leads me to believe that both of these quarterbacks are going to be able to get going in this game. One more from Coach Gruden where he talks about what they're going to do, maybe a scheme change going forward. Pretty good way of looking at it. The lab, uh, the projector, I should have said. But when you're a coach, you know, you try to act like you're sophisticated, I guess. You know, we had a great meeting with the coaches. Uh, we had a, an opportunity to uh, look at everything that, that we have done. And uh, we have a chance to really talk about our personnel extensively. And um, we're going to make some changes, uh, no doubt, uh, with the scheme. Uh, how much, I don't know. But you'll see some things that you didn't see last week, this week. The reason this is so important is the Raiders need to turn the ball over. They're minus five in turnover ratio. That's tied for 28th in the league. The Browns are plus five, which is ranked fourth in the league. So, as you know, if you've been listening to the podcast, and we greatly appreciate it, the first four games, I don't add stats in because you're trying to find out who your team is and you're looking at more trends. Now, after six games, we look at the stats, and the Raiders' total offense is ranked ninth at 390 yards a game. They're seventh in pass offense, which is very good, very good at 277 yards a game. But this is a Browns team that likes to run the football. John Gruden told me when we talked about it on the Silver and Black show earlier in the week, I'm talking about no Odell Beckham Jr., no Nick Chubb. They're still running it. 157 yards a game is ranked third in the league. So Kevin Stefanski's got a really balanced team. And if you look at the stats here, it's the haves and have-nots when it comes to Baker Mayfield. When Baker Mayfield is under pressure, this is very important, everybody, when he's under pressure... His completion percentage is 39.5. When there's no pressure, it's 68.8. Check out this stat. Baker Mayfield under pressure. Zero touchdowns, three interceptions. When he's not under pressure, 15 touchdowns, four interceptions. He had five touchdowns last week. It's incredible. I've never seen anything like this. His passer rating when he's under pressure is 17.2. When he's not, 112.9. That's the podcast. Really, that's it. If you get to Baker Mayfield, he implodes. If you don't get to him, I've always been a Baker guy. I think he's a hell of a player. 
He broke the all-time, all-time rookie touchdown record. Joe Montana, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, John Elway, Dan Marino. No, no, Baker Mayfield. So he came into the league. He's had a better start in his career, yards, touchdowns, than Brett Favre. But everybody picks him apart because he's got progressive TV commercials. And they mock him for, well, he's Baker Mayfield. He has a beard and a headband. I tell you, the guy can play. He was taken number one overall. This will not be easy. And both of these defenses are not very good. Points allowed, as I said, 32.8, 31.6. You would think they're both bottom five in the NFL. Quickly, Miles Garrett leads the NFL in sacks with nine on the season. One sack or more in each of the last six games. So for the NFL rankings, he's first in the league. He's tied for fourth in quarterback hits. He's tied for first with four forced fumbles. And he's in first place with two-plus sacks three times in games. I mean, this, this guy is the best defensive player in football through six games. Better than Aaron Donald, better than Khalil Mack. Go down the list. So as we get going here, before we bring in our guest here on the game plan, this is a game the Raiders should win. They could win, but they're playing a five-win team that's got momentum coming off a win in a division game against Cincinnati. Raiders are coming off a loss. I can tell you from being in the building a couple of times this week, everything's uh, turned down a bit from where it was last week with Trent Brown and COVID and the offensive line not being able to practice, and they're getting players back healthier. This is going to be a Darren Waller game. I think Waller's going to be have the ability against this Browns defense that is ranked 30th against the pass. Ruggs and Waller have to have big games. Aguilar and Renfro have to have big games. This is a car game. He's going to have to put it up with Mayfield, and we'll see what happens here. Browns offensive line coach Bill Callahan spent six seasons with the Raiders, 98 to 2003, and obviously he was a head coach when the Raiders appeared in the Super Bowl against John Gruden and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Raiders at Cleveland in a game where the Raiders need the next four conference games, three out of four in the division, so it's going to be big. Can't wait to see these quarterback play. These quarterbacks get after it. Early in the week, Bruce Gradkowski joined me for a few minutes, and I asked him about quarterback grades and these two quarterbacks heading into the game in Cleveland. Well, I think last week, you know, Mayfield came off of his worst uh, grading performance for us at PFF, and now this past weekend, he had his best. He was the number two rated passer for us this past weekend in week seven with a 90.4 PFF grade, three big-time throws. You know, you said it, five touchdown passes. I think the thing with Mayfield I liked, he was playing within structure. You know, he wasn't trying to do too much. He was taking the plays that were there. And then when he needed to, at the end of the game, he's making those key plays. And, and I said it a few weeks ago, if Stefanski could be like how Kyle Shanahan is, how Sean McVay is, where they dial up plays and it's progression-based at, at, at some points in the game, you know, where it's rollouts, it's boots, it's misdirections. But also because, um, you know, Baker Mayfield's really good if you're like, look, man, drop back and nail this comeback. He's going to do that. But now if it's kind of like, okay, two high read this side, one high read that side, you know, if this guy does this, then do this, you know, try to limit it. Try to limit their focus, especially for young quarterbacks, uh, because against the Steelers, that's where he got in trouble. A very simple read he messed up, picked the wrong, wrong side, um, and Minka Fitzpatrick took it to the house for six. So 
I thought he played very consistent, efficient last week against the Bengals. Yes, I know it's the Bengals, but man, he made plays when they were there. Uh, and it was good to see. So it should be a good matchup this weekend. It's a pleasure to welcome to the game plan Mark Schlereth, who joins us from the NFL on Fox, the three-time Super Bowl champion, and he was on the call for the Raiders and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Stink, thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure, JT. Always getting, uh, always great catching up with you, buddy. Yeah, I really am excited to talk to you. I'm sorry I missed you. I was below you in the first concourse with Eric Allen. I hosted the pre- and post-game show, and I wanted to start off by getting your impressions of the broadcast cast booth, Allegiant Stadium, what you thought of the Death Star? Oh, man, it was gorgeous. Uh, you know, it's funny, when I first pulled in, it just reminded me a lot of uh, State Farm Stadium in Phoenix. Um, you know, as you pull down into the area where the players park, and I think that's where they pull out the grass field as well. So, really cool. The broadcast booth was amazing. The whole inside of the Death Star was, the whole thing was, I, I, I thought the stadium was awesome. And I can't wait to do a game in there when there's actually fans because that place is going to be uh, that place is going to be tremendous. Yeah, and you saw the you know your where your broadcast booth was. You saw that VIP club right outside of it, and that's just one of many. There's a Champions Club underneath on the first level. You have seventy five thousand of PSL, let alone the tickets for the VIPs, and then all the suites for the casino owners and all the other people that are coming from all around the world. There's a nightclub there, as you know, in one of the end zones. So it's got all the bells and whistles, huh? Yeah, it certainly does. And one of the cool things, you know, I do a local radio show here in Denver, uh, and one of the cool things is it's going to be such a destination spot for all fan bases. You know, I don't know how easy or how hard it will be to get a ticket, uh, but it'd be so cool to, like, travel with a group of, uh, of Bronco fans for a Bronco, you know, Raiders game and all that kind of stuff. So I just think it's going to be, I just think it's going to be a destination spot for all you know, all the other 31 teams when they get the chance to come into Vegas to play the Raiders. I, I just think the whole concept is just awesome. So I'm um, really excited about that. Like I said, I'm really excited to see the fan base get to be in there for those games. Mark, what was it like for you as a broadcaster on the timeline when that game was moved from Sunday night football and you picked up that broadcast and move? And what was the meetings like, the phone calls like? Because Vegas was, you know, thrilled to have that game on Fox, obviously, with Tom Brady, but they lost out on a three-hour postcard to put that game nationally on in prime time on NBC. Walk us through the timeline for you. I was literally sitting on a plane Thursday, and every week, JT, I do 20-plus, 25, 30 hours of film study. So I do all my film study before I get on the plane, and I create videos for my whole crew so that you can see kind of what I'm seeing, like, Hey, this is what the Raiders are. They're a disguised football team. So pre-snap and post-snap are 100% different all the time, and they have to do that on the defensive side because, honestly, they don't have any war daddies. You know, I mean, Abrams is a great player. He was out, obviously, with COVID protocol, but they don't have any war daddies up front, guys that I consider, like, every time you break the huddle, we got to figure out where that guy is and how the hell we're going to block him. You know, the, the – uh, uh, Aaron Donald's of the world. Not, not that anybody really has an Aaron Donald, but you know what I'm saying. J.J. Watt, an Aaron Donald, a Khalil Mack, a Vaughn Miller, a, you know. So they don't have that yet. And so they have to do disguise. And so I create all these videos, and uh, I show my guys, you know, my producers and my directors and everything that I'm looking at, you know, the, the things that, that you know, kind of get me excited, right, and how the Raiders did things against Kansas City all through disguise and how they created havoc because of that. So – you know, I, I, I do all these videos. I'm sitting, literally sitting on the plane, and my phone rings. It's my boss. He goes, where are you? I go, I'm on the plane heading to Phoenix. He goes, get off. 
I'm like, what? He goes, get off. I'm like, I'm thinking I'm getting fired, right? And he's like, <laughs> although a lot of radio fans would love me to get fired, but he's like, get off the plane, and um, you got you're, you're going to you're going to Vegas now instead. Uh, NBC just took our game, so I'm like, literally grabbing my stuff, getting off the plane, and you know they're about to close the door. I'm like, hey, hold the door, I got to get off. And so I walked out. Um, you know, hindsight being 2020, I should have looked back at the plane, just kind of shook my head and go, you know, you guys are all in trouble, and just walked <laughs> off and got everybody scared, but. I didn't do that. I just got off the plane, walked across the thing, called travel, and there was a gate, like two gates down. They said, Here, here's a Vegas flight that's leaving in 20 minutes. So I got on the Vegas flight, and then I just hungered down to the room all weekend and, start, and redid all my film study at 20 hours, and then, you know, prepared for the game of learning the rosters. Because there's so much. One thing about this season, unlike any other season, there's so much turnover. And every week you get three or four guys up from a practice squad. You know, I mean, it's it's – the preparation stuff is uh, is pretty intense. So that was kind of my weekend when my game was originally um, Seattle at Arizona, and and all that prep work just kind of went out the window. So, uh, but it, you know, it comes into play. I'll, I'll have those two games at, at some point in the season. Mark Slareth joins us. So let's recap quickly what happened in that game. Brady was magnificent. It was so surreal. I'm there for every game, home and away. And to see an empty stadium, and I watched Brady warm up and then warm up and put his uniform on and then come out there and throw these daisy cutters in the corner of the end zone. And Gronk, we just looked at one-on-one coverage. Great, Brady was magnificent, I thought, in that game. And I thought it was an honor to be in the building to see Brady, who I think that's his only chance he'll ever have, to play in Vegas unless Vegas gets a Super Bowl soon and he comes in that way. But the takeaway from that game on why the Raiders struggled so much defensively, because that's the huge topic this week, Mark, is the Raiders' plan to go to Cleveland and play the Browns. Yeah, well, I think, you know, ultimately it comes down to what I talked to Tom Brady about and, you know, and what I just talked to you about. The Raiders, the Raiders, like, I love what Mike Mayock and John Gruden have done. And, you know, I mean, I understand that, my job as a broadcaster is to tell the story of the game. And the story of the game was Tom Brady. You know, everybody wants to write his obituary at 43 years old. That dude is dealing. I mean, yeah. absolutely dealing. He completed 70, almost 75% of his passes, almost 400 yards, four TDs. He rushed for one. I mean, but he was on target. And really, when you watch them on film, every week, now I've had three Tampa games. So every week that I've watched them in succession, they have gotten better. They have had that nonverbal communication has kind of come to the forefront. And every week between he and the receivers, because he communicates where I want you to go with ball plays. Like he's communicating to receivers, like I'm going to keep you out of harm's way. I'm going to throw it to a spot where only you can get it and where you're going to be protected. And watching kind of that development of his receivers and starting to understand those things, um, it's, been, it's been pretty incredible. As I mentioned, in regards to the Raider, the Raiders in general, they just don't have a. They need a couple of defensive difference makers in their front seven. Now, don't get me wrong, um, Furl is a good player. Mm-hmm. Um, Max Crosby is. I love watching Max Crosby. He's a really good player. He plays exceptionally hard. Uh, Hankins, over the years, has been a very good player. Um, I love Corey Littleton. His speed, his athleticism, and Kwiatkowski is a guy that I was really rooting for. Uh, the Broncos to go after. But the, the bottom line to me is when you play on the offensive side of the ball and you break the huddle, when you have one of those war daddy type dudes that you guys go, hey, 
we got to find that guy and we've got to change protections and change techniques to block that guy, it, it gives you one-on-ones everywhere else. And when you don't have a dude that you're afraid to go one-on-one with, when you say, hey, at any time we can go one-on-one with any one of these guys and we feel like we can hold up, well, you know defensively you don't have uh, – you, have, you haven't built the personnel that you need yet. And that's what it comes down to. That's why Paul Gunther uses so much disguise and why they do, they do so many things on the back end. And here's the thing about doing that on the back end. If your back end and front end are tied together, if you're not creating pressure and you're showing disguise, disguise is great until it's not, until you're a yard behind or you're a, you're a second late. And that's the difference between a pass breakup and a 50-yard touchdown. You're a second late and you're a little bit behind in your stack. When you have a quarterback that's going to – it's going to be able to see that post snap. It's going to be able to deliver that football in a perfect place. Like, hey, I'm sorry, tip your hat and say you're better than us. And and that to me is where the Raiders are on the defensive side of the ball right now. And not to say that they won't get better, but they need to continue to increase um, increase the talent level of that defense like I think they have on the offensive side of the ball. Mark Slareth joins us on the game plan. So on the offensive side as a three-time Super Bowl champion on the offensive line, what is Tom Cable dealing with? I said this working for this team for 22 years. Every year I see this offensive line on paper. They're amazing on paper, but there's never any players that are going to be there the entire time. When I look at the injuries, incognito, Felt the tug on the Achilles. I get it. That's an injury. Trent Brown had a real injury with the calf. Then people were questioning, and boom, it's COVID-19. During the bye week, it takes down Jonathan Abram, and then uh, Gabe Jackson gets thrown out of the game for a play. So if you look at this offensive line coming off what you saw against Tampa Bay, going forward, assuming Cable gets this bunch back completely 100% healthy, is that the driving force that could help the Raiders turn it around and maybe make the playoffs? Yeah, I think on paper they have one of the top offensive lines in football. And Tommy Cable and I, you know, we play college football together. So Tommy is a phenomenal coach. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, when you get Sam Young starting, I mean, think about all the different guys that have started a game this year for them. Um, you know, from Simpson to uh, – um, Andre James to, you know, to Sam Young mm-hmm. to Denzel Good at multiple positions. I mean, that's really hard. Continuity is so important. We always talk about the continuity of a play caller or the continuity of an offense or the continuity of a defense. And there's no place where that's more paramount or more important than on the offensive line. And when you have the revolving department store door, it's really hard to play next to one another. Um, and, and so you lose Young in that game, and then you know, then Gabe Jackson, who I think is not only your best offensive lineman, but I think he's one of the best guards in football. Wow. That guy comes off the ball. I mean, he's coming off hunt. He is a, an exceptional player. And you lose him, that's kind of the heart and soul of that offensive line in my, in my estimation. Uh, you lose him, and you know, we try to go back on the broadcast and see exactly what happened. I don't know exactly what happened, um, but – it's just a devastating loss. And then to, to have to play that game, listen, there's no excuses. And, and Gruden said this to us in our production meeting. He goes, we don't have a wristband of excuses. Like, you can't use them. Nobody cares. But to have to play that game against one of the top defenses, one of the speediest defenses in football, and a defense that's predicated on we're bringing pressure, we're going to dictate, and we're going to run and blitz, and all of a sudden you haven't practiced all week, and you get cleared Sunday morning for your guys to come back and play, 
Do you know what a, uh, an unbelievable disadvantage that is? Mm-hmm. Like, I think about it this way. There's one drill on a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday practice that you run all three days, and it's the only one. Like, you, inside run is uh, nine on seven is on Thursday. That's it. Short yardage and goal line, that's on Friday, right? All, like, those are base is a Wednesday thing. Like, the one thing that you run all three days is blitz pickup. All three days of practice, you run blitz pickup. And you, you're coming in Sunday against one of the top blitzing teams in football, and you haven't run any of that stuff? Like, that's a, that's a really tough task. But here, guess what? It's 2020. Nobody gives a crap. You've got to adjust. And that's, the, kind of, that's where we're living right now. Mark, as we wrap this up, just a comment for the Raiders going in. They're 3-3. Three and three. If I would have told you before the start of the season, and I know you're talking about it on your radio show in Denver with Drew Locke and the Von Miller injury and what's happening with the Charger injuries, the Raiders beat Mahomes, Drew Brees. It was 24-20 against Tom Brady. No moral victories. Baker Mayfield's coming off a five-touchdown game, but he doesn't have Odell Beckham Jr. and Chubb. Could it be a big game for Waller? Because Cleveland doesn't have a great defense, especially over the middle of the field. How do you see this upcoming game? I like the Raiders. Um, I, listen, I back at practice and getting their guys back, um, I love the way they built this team. This team is really built on, hey, let's get into – you know, let's get into 12, let's get into 13, let's get into 21 personnel. Let's play a little smash-mouth football. Let's control the clock and make sure we keep our defense fresh so we can do some of those things that we want to do from a disguise standpoint. Um, I, I, I've always been a big Derek Carr fan. I think he's an exceptional quarterback. Um, and I, I, like I said, I like where they are. Before the season started, like I'm public enemy number one. You think Raider fan hates me. <laughs> you should see Bronco fan right now. Because I was just completely honest. You can't just go and draft speed and think you're a better football team. You, you lack toughness. You lack maturity. Uh, you lack playmakers at the quarterback position here in Denver. And I picked, the, I, I picked Kansas City to win the division, obviously, because they're the best team. But I picked the Raiders to, to play second and be a playoff team. And people in Denver went ballistic. I'm like, hey, the Broncos aren't good. I'm just letting you know they're not good. Even though you think, you know, John Elway went on a media uh, victory tour after he drafted two wide receivers in the first two rounds. They're just not. So I like the direction that uh, John Gruden has the Raiders going in. Um, I know that, you know, from a performance standpoint, that score was indicative of the game. I know they made it close there in the third quarter, making it 20 to, or in the fourth quarter, 20 to 24. But honestly, that game wasn't, that, even when it was 20 to 24, it really wasn't close. No. And, you know, they opened it up and, and, and won by, what, 25 points. But the bottom line is I love the direction. Um, last week was, you know, last week was a difficult time simply because of all the things they went through, you know, as an organization. But I like the direction they're going in. I think, uh, I think they go into Cleveland and win. Hey, your studio work over the years, radio, second to none, especially in Denver. And now the broadcast of games, fantastic. Hey, look, the Raider fans get into my DMs. I mean, you they get, they come after me hard, and I put them all on the radio. So I like when you get a little bit chippy with the Raider Nation. That's part of this. That's why we're having you on. <laughs> <laughs> I always joke around with Raider Nation. Hey, and I told John Gruden this. You know, I always say I hate the Raiders with white-hot intensity of a thousand suns. It's sports hate. You know, it's, yes. it's from my – it's from because it was a great rivalry and they were a great competitor all those years. Um, and, and I said, but, you know, ultimately, John, the league is a better place when the Raiders are relevant. And I mean that wholeheartedly. Yeah. I, I love it. With, hey, when the Raiders are good, the league is healthy. 
and and they need to be good. And so I just, you know, I, I just hope John and I are friends. I've got guys on that staff that are friends. Um, and I want them, I, I, I honestly, in all sincerity, I want them to be good. But listen, the one thing I won't do is I won't lie to you on a broadcast. <laughs> if no. you suck, I'm going to say you suck. That's just the way I'm wired. You are one hell of a broadcaster. Thanks for doing this. I hope we catch up later in the season. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure, JT. Take care, buddy. You got it. Mark Slareth, fantastic. And he was on the call. And again, as I'm booking this podcast and I'm booking the radio show, and I'm trying to get guests on. That's a guy that I know I have in my pocket as a friend. I was with him at a baseball game when his son was pitching. I was at a Rockies game doing a radio remote, and he was there, and his son was pitching for Detroit, and we knew each other through radio all these years on radio. He, his ESPN radio work I, when I was on 17 years at Fox, and you know we became radio friends, and then we saw each other at Super Bowls and a couple of events he came on. But I wanted to have him on the podcast this week because he was critical of the team but I know he'd have a fair assessment of the team going into this game against the Cleveland Browns which is a big one because the Raiders need to get back into the win column they can run the ball inside or out gap schemes zone schemes traps shotgun runs you name it and uh, when they get the running game going mate Baker's really hard to stop because of the play action passes and the bootlegs but uh, I think the running game uh, really stands out, and, and and we all know Baker is, is really a, an emerging young quarterback. Touchdown, Las Vegas. Since starting Allegiant some 20 years ago, we've flown more than 100 million people to be with those they love. We're pilots, flight attendants, and technicians, but we're also parents, spouses, and neighbors. And just like you, we're excited to reconnect with the people and places that matter most. That's why we're going the distance for health and safety, on the ground and in the air. Because the further we go now, the safer it'll be to go farther tomorrow. Allegiant, the official airline of the Las Vegas Raiders. Low fares, nonstop flights, only at Allegiant.com. So we continue on the game plan with one of the greatest punters in Raider history. The former pro bowler, the former all-pro, was with L.A. and the Oakland Raiders from 1988 through 1996. Jeff Gossett joins us on the game plan. Jeff, thanks for doing this. Good to talk to you again. Thank you, Jake. We appreciate it. You know, we're getting ready for Cleveland, so I want to include you with not only the game plan of this as we talk about your career momentarily, but what was it like kicking in L.A. and Oakland, nice weather, and then all of a sudden you get thrown into a cold-weather game in the Midwest or back east? How'd you prep for that back in the day? It felt like uh, your nickname, the brick. When I kicked the football, <laughs> it felt like kicking a brick sometimes in Cleveland. It was so cold. Uh, but we, when I was in L.A., we had to play some cold games also. Green Bay, we had to play in Buffalo. We had to play in Chicago, different places, but... Uh, Cleveland was uh, wasn't a great punters ballpark. <laughs> uh, you know they left the the old stadium. They left the open end up so you get the fans could see the beautiful Lake Erie and the wind just howls through there. Uh, very tough place to punt. The field wasn't ideal either. Uh, it was a grass field. They also played baseball in it, uh, similar to Oakland. If they put sod down after the baseball season, they tried to put sod down, and you know in October it's a little late to put sod down, so. It, it was a real slippery field to to plant your foot or to, you know to run whatever you had to do on it. But it was a it was pretty a soggy field. Jeff Gossett, I tell you, I look at your career, undrafted out of Eastern Illinois. Then you come into this league and you're trying to make teams, and you're in Kansas City, Cleveland, the Chicago Blitz, the Portland Breakers, Cleveland again. I mean, this was a difficult journey before you landed with the Raiders. Take us through the journey, the ups and downs, and how you kept your focus 
before you came one of the elite punters of the entire era you played in? Well, at first, I started with Dallas Cowboys in 1980. I, I, after I left baseball, I was playing baseball with the Mets uh, for two years in the minor leagues, and they wanted to make me a pitcher, so I left to pursue football. Didn't know if I was ever going to make it or not. I was going to call every team I, I, I could if I had to, uh, but the Cowboys signed me after the draft in 1980 as a free agent. They brought five guys in. Danny White was punter quarterback at the time roger just retired roger Stellback, so danny didn't want to he didn't want didn't want to punt so i beat the other four guys out as last guy left and uh coach landry called me in after four preseason games and he, he uh, said we're gonna let danny punt and save a position uh as a defensive back or a special teams player we're gonna save a position so that was the first time i'd ever been cut from anything in my life uh, any sport, but uh, it was tough to take. They told he told me to stick around in case Danny White got hurt, and Danny White never got hurt. <laughs> so I, I was working at a furniture store and then staying in shape. And the next year, I started 1981. I signed with the San Diego Chargers as a free agent, and I beat dead and three guys out there. I was the last punter left after four preseason games. I was going to live with Hank Bauer, believe it or not. Mm. <laughs> that may have been a mistake, but uh, I was going to live with Hank. And the uh, coach called me in and uh, said, we traded for a veteran punter from Miami named George Roberts. So I was cut again. So uh, that was hard to take as well. Then I, I came back to Dallas and stayed in shape where I lived. And uh, you know, Kansas City Chiefs punter got hurt. Uh, the third way through the season, Bob Gruff got hurt. So I went up there for a one-day tryout with three of the guys, and I, I won the job. Well, that was my First true professional game, not preseason. I mean, regular season game. I, I played uh, 1981. And then 1982 was a strike year, if you remember. We sure. played maybe nine games. Then we went on strike and uh, played maybe uh, three or four games at the end of the season. Uh, the next year, the Kansas City Chiefs drafted a punter named uh, Jim Arnold. And uh, I knew my chances. I beat him out in preseason. I put him really well in preseason. I knew my chances weren't very good at making the team because they, you know, they drafted him in the third round. It's pretty hard to cut a third round pick. So I, I, uh, I got cut again by John McAvick. He was head coach at that time, and I, uh, I was claimed off of waivers by the Cleveland Browns, wow. 1983. And Sam Latigiano was a coach, but uh, Brian Seifert's quarterback. I punted that whole year because their punter Steve Cox was injured, and. Uh, the next year, 84, the spring of 84, uh, Marv Levy was a coach of the Chicago Blitz. And he called me and he wanted me bad. He gave me a guaranteed contract and all this, more money than I was going to make in the NFL. So I jumped to the USFL with Marv Levy and the Chicago Blitz. These coaches, uh, are, these I, coaches, excuse me, these coaches are amazing. You're going through this coaching <laughs> tree for you. Marv Levy gives you an offer you can't refuse in 84 to take you from Cleveland to the blitz and yeah i can imagine that coach levy calls he's got more money you're gonna take it yeah, exactly it was a no-brainer at the time uh so i did i played back-to-back seasons i played in the fall then i played in the spring so i played a year-round football that year mm-hmm. i had the fall of 84 off and uh spring of 85 i was with the portland breakers and the chicago blitz folded went mm-hmm. to portland breakers and uh dick Corey was our coach there and uh had, had a good year. I led the league. Well, I can't remember what year I led the league with USFL. I don't know if it was with the Blitz or with the Portland Breakers, but I led the league that year. And I, the league folded. I think it was Donald Trump wanted to take them, you know, head to head against the NFL. <laughs> wanted to play 
in the fall. Yeah, this is. I a... thought the league was going great. We had some great talent in that league, and a lot of them went on to play in the NFL for a long, long time. But I went back to the Cleveland Browns in '85 because they still had my rights. I punted there in '85 when Marty Schottenheimer was the coach now, and Bill Cowher is my special teams coach. So '85, '86, and '87 was another strike year. I was with the Browns. Uh, we went on a strike, and then they brought the scabs in and played some football. And then after the strike was over, uh, Marty let me go, and I got picked up by the Houston Oilers for the last five or six games that year, a couple of playoff games. We beat Seattle in one playoff game and got beat by Denver in the second one. Uh, and that, the next year, 88, uh, training camp, uh, Jerry Glanville and the Houston Oilers drafted a Greg Montgomery mm-hmm. upon her in third round. So I knew my chances weren't good to get – I beat him out in preseason. I had a great preseason. I beat him out. Uh, he didn't pump very good, but they kept him. And uh, Coach Glanville came up to me. He goes, Jeff, I know you, you deserve to be on this team. He said, I'm going to have to, I, I'll trade you anywhere you want to go. And I said, he said, where do you want to go? And I said, anywhere warm or a dome. And he traded me to the Los Angeles Raiders. And that's how I ended up with the Raiders in 1988. And uh, stayed with them for nine, nine great years. Uh, I didn't miss the Cleveland weather at all. I mean, Jeff Jagger also came out there with me mm-hmm. uh, the year after me. He came, he came in 89, and uh, we were stretching in December. It was like 95 degrees, you know, and we're just we, – we're used to stretching in the snow in Cleveland at that time. So we were laughing about it. We had a good time. But uh, L.A. was good to me. The coaches were good. I had a great special teams coach. Art Schell was my head coach, and um, Steve Ortmeyer was a special teams coach. Uh, Al Davis seemed to have a lot of confidence in me, and that was great. Because uh, no other place that I punted, I felt like they had confidence in me. But uh, that gave me confidence, and uh, I just uh, I had a great I had a great nine years with the Raiders. I yeah. In, in L.A., and I went to Oakland for two, ninety-five and ninety-six. In my last game, I was running a fake punt. I was a month shy of forty years old. I was running a fake punt. I was running about a five-eight forty around the around the corner, <laughs> and some guy from Seattle hit me and bro- broke seven ribs, six in the back, and one in front. Wow. And that was my last. I had to punt again after that, actually. They shot me up uh, twice then, and then uh, four more times at halftime, they shot me up. So I had to hold three times. And the last hold I got was outside. I heard pop, pop on my back. And I put the ball down. He made it. And I said, I'm done. So that was my, that's how my career ended. It wasn't, it wasn't a way I wanted to go out, but uh, at least I got to play 15 years. Yeah, it's amazing. A really amazing story. The coaches... We're on the game plan, and I wanted to make sure the alumni have been so great to us, and I'm interviewing them on the radio and for the game plan podcast, Jeff Gossett, where we think of Ray Guy, Shane Leckler, Jeff Gossett. You're a part of this, you know, three group of punters that are talked about in Raider history. As we wrap this up, Jeff, what was your relationship over the years like with Ray Guy or Shane Leckler? I know you were around a little bit when you get a chance to. That's kind of a nice fraternity former punters in Raider history, and you're one of the best. Ray's pretty, Ray, Ray's pretty quiet guy. Mm-hmm. He came to a couple of games and stood on the sidelines, talked to me, and, and uh, I just admired the guy growing up. You know, I just watched watch his form and, and the way he kicked. He was the best ever. Uh, Shane Leckler came to my camp when he was in high school. Wow. And he was, he was on his way to Texas A&M, and he played four great years there, and I was helping the Raiders find a kicker. Mr. Davis said he wanted me to find a kicker in, 19, in 2000. And I went to the combine, and it was a no-brainer. There it was it was uh, Janikowski for sure. He was the best by far. Uh, on draft day, Mr. Davis called me, and I was at my ranch and getting ready to get my fishing boat and fish. And uh, he called me on draft day. He goes, "Did you think I should take?" And 
Sebastian Janikowski in the first round? I said, yes. He said, do you think he can be as good as Morton Anderson? And I said, yes, he can if he stays out of trouble. And he did. He had a great career. But Shane Leckler, I also told him to draft Shane Leckler because I knew Shane personally. I knew he could punt. I didn't know if he was going to get drafted maybe late by somebody. But the uh, Raiders took him in the fifth round, and that was a great fifth-round pick. And those two guys, they played 20 years. <laughs> Jeff, I am going to tie you in because I was outside the war room in Alameda when they selected Janikowski and they handed me the card. And I, I knew the name Janikowski because as a sports talk host, I saw him playing with Bobby Bowden and all those big games. So I was familiar with the name. The guys, the gentlemen I was with, were, they were not. They didn't know how to pronounce it. And for the rest <laughs> of my life, I am going to say that Jeff Gossett is tied into that draft. Janikowski and Leckler, the greatest special teams draft in Raider history. Jeff, so good to catch up with you. We hope to see you out here in Vegas, get you in studio in person, because you've been real good to me. Well, thank you very much, JT. appreciate it. And uh, I know you're a big Jim Rome fan. And I used to listen to him all the time. Same time you were doing, probably. All my, all my years in L.A. <laughs> I won the smack off in 1995. I'm telling you, you and me got to get together for some beverages out in Vegas and, and tell some war stories, okay? I, I will. I'll, I'll give you a call, JT. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jeff. I hope you enjoyed that on our Game Plan podcast. You know, they, the Raiders said, hey, uh, can we get Jeff in the podcast? Absolutely. And then he tells a story I've never heard. Mr. Davis calls him on Janikowski. They took Janikowski in the first round. In the first round. It did pay off. It was a hell of a kicker. Kicked for him in the Super Bowl. But Leckler? Leckler was out there on that 100-year anniversary. Remember with the coats, with all the legends? Leckler better go to the Hall of Fame. He better go to the Hall of Fame. He's that good. Thanks to Jeff Gossett joining us on the game plan. Former Cleveland Brown and Raider. But this guy's an excellent quarterback, and he's proven he can play in anybody's system. Oklahoma, uh, he had a different system last year. He's got a different system this year. He's playing under the center more than I've seen him in the past. But this kid can play, and he's a great competitor. And what I love is when the game is on the line late, uh, it brings out the best in him. He's fun to watch, too. He's got a style of play that I like. Let's continue on the game plan with former Raiders linebacker, eight-year NFL vet, ESPN College Football, ESPN Los Angeles, part of the Rams broadcast, my teammate on SiriusXM NFL, an analyst, works also for The Athletic, Kirk Morrison. Did I get everything, my friend? Did I leave anything <laughs> out? Uh, ESPN College Football, man. There you know, you I'm go. a college football analyst, so each and every week I get to go on the road and go see some of the uh, future stars of the NFL, JT. Um, so I'm looking forward to uh, every week doing that. What has that been like during COVID uh, before we get to the Raiders? What's it been like traveling, adjusting your schedule, knowing that you got to be safe at airports, on the road, if it's regional? How have you been do- dealing with all that? You know, traveling has not been that bad, JT, honestly. Uh, traveling has actually been fairly quiet just because there's not a lot of people, you know, in the airports and things like that. But I, I just think for me, the uh, – you know, a day like today, okay, Wednesday. Wednesdays and Thursdays are probably uh, the hardest days of the week just because in the NFL, they test every day for the players. Mm-hmm. Well, in college and in some conferences, they only test one day a week, and it's usually either a Wednesday or a Thursday. So you get results back, and then that's where you maybe have a game. I've had a game uh, postponed this year already due to COVID. I've had a game postponed due to a hurricane, um, but 
you never know if a player may be positive or not. It may be down for the week. So it's, uh, this is always the critical point of the week uh, for college football, and I think for the NFL as well, right, because you just never know what tomorrow may bring as far as your football team. Well, I wanted to have you on specifically, and thanks for getting back to me on this because you saw the Raiders. The game was pulled from Sunday night, Trent Brown, COVID. Right. The situation that happened with the offensive line didn't practice all week. Uh, even Jonathan Abram was pulled from the game. And then the Raiders played Tom Brady. It was a 24-20 game, and then Brady took over. He had a great game. And now there's a lot of heat. There's a lot of heat on Gunther, this defense, the defensive pressure, and that the lack of defensive pressure, especially from the pass rush. And, you know, I want to ask you about Littleton and Gwitkowski, two linebackers who were supposed to come in and make a lot of plays. Assess this Raiders defense from what you've seen from a distance. Well, they haven't made any splash plays. Um, and that's the big thing, right? They're having a tough time sacking the quarterback and getting consistent pressure. And I know Max Crosby has his four sacks, but they don't get consistent pressure. And, and, I, and, and for me, that's a problem, right, JT? Because you had a lot of opportunity to go out and maybe get a Jadavian Clowney, right? To go out and get an experienced pass rusher or trade for one. And you're seeing teams do that right now, right? The Raiders are in a position where obviously they have to November 3rd to fix this, to find maybe just a situational guy, but they don't have the pass rush that's needed, and you're starting to see that back end kind of get hung out for dry a little bit. Same thing with the linebackers as well, who are, to me, opportunistic guys, but how many opportunities have they been in, you know, when a quarterback's able to stand up right and throw the football? So that's, I think, the tough part. I think that's what's holding the defense back, not having that consistent pressure to get the football out quickly, and then you've got corners having to cover you know, for three to four seconds. That's not what the NFL and getting turnovers is all about. Kirk Morrison joins us. Now, I want to get into this 4-3, and you've played in all different styles of defenses from Pop Warner all the way through your great college career and eight years in the NFL. Right. If they're not getting enough pressure, we're, we're sensing that – players are now getting called out up front. If the defensive tackles can't get that pressure up the middle, then quarterbacks are stepping up into their throws, and Max Crosby seems to be the consistent guy. Cleveland Farrell was taken fourth overall. You can move him inside because Malik Collins hasn't had those splash plays that you're talking about. So what is it like when you're not getting enough pressure knowing that Gunther is limited with the blitz packages because he's got two linebackers in Littleton and Kutkowski that he'd like to keep in space so they can tackle tight ends and guard them. Well, let's be honest, too. They ha- how many times have the Raiders really consistently won first and second down with right. the run game, too, right? And now you're getting quarterbacks, I'm sorry, offenses in third and shorts. You're not going to sack the quarterback in third and five or less. I'm just being real with you. I'm going to be honest because the ball comes out quickly. The ball usually you bring pressure on those downs, and we know experienced quarterbacks are going to get the ball out quickly. They're going to throw things up. You need to be in you know, third and seven plus. If you can get four or five of those per game, that gives you an opportunity for the quarterback to have to hold the ball and allow the defense to get there. You can get into what I've seen throughout my NFL years, which is kind of what you know, teams call it a NASCAR package, a fast package, where you're just going to get your four best rushers. I don't care if the guy's an end. I don't care if the guy's a linebacker. I don't care if he's a defensive tackle. You need your four best rushers out there on the field, but it has to be in those obvious passing situations, and that's what I think has hurt the Raiders is they have not been in those types of situations more than they should, and that's allowing what? The communication on the back end to suffer from it. 
their communication has not been great throughout the season, right? There's been moments that you've seen them play well, but for overall you're starting to see that you don't get that consistent communication, and now you've got a guy either playing free or you've got a guy who is not able to help out over the top. And that, to me, it all comes together. Look, Paul Gunther's going to take the heat. I get it. He's the defensive coordinator. You want them to play better. But I think also, too, you have to start to look at what's going on in the down and distances that are not allowing the Raiders to get consistent pressure. Kirk Morrison on the game plan, and you've been in locker rooms where players have been lightly called out, called out by the media. John Gruden talked about some changes coming. Paul Gunther, I believe in Gunther's scheme, and I know he's a good football coach. I really do. And I think Mike Mayock's trying to get him better players, and some players fit a scheme better than others. Can you take me back in the day when you played when maybe you were in a scheme you didn't love, but you played and did your job, and then a new coach came in, and it opened it up, and it was a better scheme that made you play better, and you showed up more on a stat sheet? Yeah, I think it's uh, different defenses, and it's it's difficult because we, not a lot of teams play base anymore, JT. I mean, this is a now a nickel league now. When I say nickel, it's going against offenses that are, you primarily come out in one tight end, three wide receivers, and then they'll throw in and you have the back. Now, some teams will give you 12 personnel, one back, two tight ends, and two wide receivers, and usually that's a running formation. The Raiders actually give you a lot of 12 at times. You know, they give you the double tight ends and things like that. But it's really about picking what kind of guys do you need to be in there. I think the linebackers is going to take a little bit more time. Like they have not been in position to make plays. And I think also, too, when you have the expectations that are put on the Raiders from how they started the season, and I've always said this, JT, the mark of a true team, you're going to know after the fourth game, fifth game, because now there's film on you. I know who you are. I know what you're going to do. I know what your best third down calls are. I know what your best blitzes are. Now it's can you go out and execute. Early in the season, every, it's a filling out process, JT. It's still a honeymoon period. But after the honeymoon period is when the good football teams and the good football players stand up and say, I don't need a scheme. I just know football. And I think that's the hard part for some of these guys that they're still learning, right? The communication in the back end I keep talking about because you have pretty much a whole new secondary. This isn't the same secondary. You've got a young player in Arnett coming in. I mean, and then, you know, Mullen, uh, you know, Abrams really coming back from injury all of last year. So you can consider him a young guy or a player who uh, is still learning. So all that communication has to be spread around. And then you add injuries to all of this. And now, you know, no one's going to cry for you in the NFL, but you have to find ways to put yourself in the best situation to make plays. And a lot of it, JT, I'm going to be honest, it comes from experience. And I don't know if these guys have the experience within the defense yet to be able to make some of those game-changing plays, not just a pass breakup. We're talking about intercepting the football, force fumble, you know, sack fumble, all of that. Those are the types of plays that you get with the experience in the system, but also knowing where you need to be at and can just make plays. Just go out there and handle business, and you see it from some of the better defenses in the NFL. So if I told you, and I talked to you often before the start of the season, that the Raiders would be 3-3 three and three, heading into Cleveland after beating Drew Brees and Patrick Mahomes on the road, would you take it? Yeah, you take it. 3-3, three and three and you still haven't played your best football, right? You know, like you've won – 
And some people say, wow, you beat the champs, but I felt that the Raiders took it to them. Um, they, they, there was a chip on the Raiders' shoulder, but yet you have to back it up, right? You have to back it up. And, you know, it's unfortunate that obviously they, I thought that they had the momentum, and then all of a sudden they had the bye week. And when you get the bye week, it, it does temper you down a little bit. So coming out of the bye week, I knew they would be a little bit rusty, but you're going against Tom Brady, who is now catching his stride, in, in Tampa, and why is that now, right? I just talked about it. They're four or five games in. Teams know how to scout now. Like, you, you can't change, right? You're now, look, you're a cheater. You got spots on you. You're, you can't change now. You can't, you know, that, this is who you are. And so I think I would take where they're at right now, JT, because you still have so much more room for improvement. Look, you got your division in front of you, and that's what it's really all about. You're winning your division, and when it comes down to it, you've already knocked the defending champs off. You got them one more time, but winning your division with an expanded playoff, that's where I want to see where do the Raiders take it to the next step, take it to the next level. I'm not upset now and about where they're at. Um, I think I'm upset more at Trent Brown for not wearing his monitor, his uh, his COVID contact tracer. I think that's what the, where the, a lot of, uh, you know, um, Blame can be laid, but you get through this first little hurdle, and then you use this as a rallying cry. But I think I've seen more from Derek Carr this year, obviously taking the shots down the field. But really, this team stays healthy, JT. I think that they have a chance to make a nice little run in these final 10 games. And finally, I'm talking to a lot of alumni, once a Raider, always a Raider. How did it feel when you got that legacy brick from Mark Davis? You know, JT, honestly, I haven't even unwrapped it yet. I'm just uh, I'm holding on to it, man, because it's 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 so special to me. Um, I want to wait till the season's over with. I want to unwrap it and unhold. I mean, people have sent me pictures of you know the brick and where it lies outside of Allegiant mm-hmm. Stadium, but it is a part of me that I still feel like an active player. I still feel like I'm so invested in the Raiders, JT. Mm-hmm that I ha- I've seen the brick, I've opened it up, I saw the package, and to me, it, um, you know, it's just all my hard work. Because, you know, it, it, it hit different for me than maybe some of the other guys because I'm born and raised in Oakland. I grew up a Raider, and I know they're in Vegas now, but to see that brick, um, it brought a lot of emotion um, from just Raiders of past and the Raiders of the future. And I got to find a nice little place to put that. And that's the reason why I haven't unwrapped it fully, because I have to put that somewhere where I'm reminded of not only the guys who I shared the field with, but the guys who came before me, but, you know, one of the greatest organizations and the vision that Mr. Davis, the great late Al Davis, had about this organization, man. When I see that brick, that's the emotion that came over me when I, uh, when I opened it up. So the shout-out to Mark Davis, Mark Bedane, the entire Raider organization for that. And I think, JT, I can speak for a lot of the alumni to say to feel like you had a piece in the future of the organization with the opening of Allegiant Stadium, I think that also hit hit home for a lot of guys that that their legacy will live on with those uh, legacy bricks that are you know right outside the stadium. Nicely said. Great to catch up with you. Continued success. Your career is going so well, and you're a big part of this Raider family, and I really appreciate you taking time on the game plan. Thank you. Yeah, no problem, JT. I appreciate it. Anytime, my man. You got it. There he is, Kirk Morrison. Wanted to have him in on the defensive side. So we give you everything on Cleveland. No Eldell Beckham Jr., no Nick Chubb, right? Two stars in this league, not here. Baker Mayfield coming off a five-touchdown game. Miles Garrett, the numbers are overwhelming. 
on how great he is. He's the defensive player of the year. Sorry, everybody else. He's the defensive player of the year. The Raiders are always facing someone great. The GOAT last week, the greatest quarterback of all time. Now they're facing the best defensive player in the league, and they got to get their own defense going. So really proud of this edition of the Game Plan. Thanks for listening. For everyone at Silver and Black Productions, I'm JT. Thanks for joining us. And for the Raiders, get this one. This could really change the momentum and get the Raiders back in the win column. This is the Game Plan. Thank you for listening to the Game Plan on the official Raiders Podcast Network.